Kiba. Led the dancing at the Victory Ball with mighty King Priam in the Royal Hall. Welcome to Why Am I In Your Country? This is a series of interviews with refugees and asylum seekers who've chosen to make their life in the UK. My name is Charlotte Eager. My name is William Sterling. And this week we're going to be speaking to our friend Alwa Amaran. Hi Charlotte, hi William, I'm happy to be with you. Thank well, you. It's lovely to see you Alwa. So William and I run a project uh, for refugees, a drama project called the Trojan Women Project, which we've been doing for the last 10 years. Awa, who was an actress in Syria, is Hecuba in our current project. We've been working with her for the last three years. Awa is a drama assistant for the workshops every week. And just to make it clear that as Hecuba, she is the star of the show. The Trojan Woman is a play written by Euripides two and a half thousand years ago. It's set at the fall of Troy. All the men are dead and the women are waiting in a camp to find out what's going to happen to them. Hecuba was this queen who had everything. And so Hecuba starts the play with this incredible speech, this lament. And I haven't actually asked Alwa if she can remember it and say it now. Um, but she might be able to do it for us. Miserable woman. Miserable woman. Lift Lift your your head head from the dirt. Troy has gone. Troy has gone. Oh, my God. I don't have that huge memory, actually. That's why we've got it on tape. Yeah. Plus, I need to be in the mood. Yeah, you have to be in the mood. I need to be in your red dress. <laughs> yeah. Not sitting on the sofa with a cup of tea. Dawa is a Syrian refugee. In fact, she's more than that. She's a double refugee because she's a Syrian Palestinian. Awa grew up in a refugee camp, which is actually a, a suburb of Damascus. She trained as a lawyer and as an actress, and she had a very nice life in Syria. And then one day the war started and everything changed for her. She came here as an asylum seeker. She had to overcome the most incredible dangers. She walked for weeks through Kurdistan. She had to swim across a river. She was terrified that she was going to be caught, arrested, deported. Her dog Jacko is here as well, which is really key because she had to leave Jacko in Syria when she was on the journey. I am Arwa. I read law at the University of Damascus. I had a dream of being an actress. So into the podcast, we're going to be plonking in some passages from the play. In fact, you might have just heard that last thing was uh, a quote from the play. And the reason for doing that is... These are the stories that our participants have told. They're they're their own stories, and we put them into the play because it it shows, it mirrors that what Euripides wrote two and a half thousand years ago is as true today as it was then, that what people like Awa and our other participants have been going through is exactly the same that war is eternal, essentially, only the weapons change. So you hear something that sounds a bit different, you hear some creaking on the stage. Or a bit more or poetic. A bit yeah, something a bit more poetic. Or a bit or, more chorus-like. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. Or indeed a trumpet, or because obviously trumpet. there won't be trumpets in Arwa's flat, no. but there are trumpets and or artillery there is, also or in there our play. There's a piano in the flat, isn't there? Because, of course, Arwa's fiancé, Jonathan, plays the piano. We're now in a place that Arwa has described as her favourite place in Britain. So Arwa, can you explain to us where we are and why? You are in my one-bedroom flat now, which is, it's my favourite place now after being homeless. Last year I've been evicted from my studio flat with my dog. So I had to to be homeless for nine days. Arwa lost her home, like a lot of people nowadays, because with the rise in interest rates, her landlord wanted to sell it and so Arwa had to find somewhere new to live. 
Ealing Council were supposed to rehouse her, but they didn't. And that's why she ended up homeless. Being very shrewd, Awa basically set up camp on Ealing Council's doorstep to shame them into rehousing her. But it was November and it was extremely cold. She literally slept on the street for three or four nights with her dog, Jacko. And then to be held in the hostel for six months till I get this, my lovely flat where I feel safe and happy again with my lovely dog. Jacko, come here. Come here, please. And also her lovely fiancé, Jonathan. Oh, this is another story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my lovely partner, uh, Jonathan, who I met in the hostel, and then we linked. Both of us, we had our lowest point last year. For anybody becoming homeless, it would be incredibly traumatic. But for Awa, being a refugee here on her own in Britain... With Jacko, her dog, as her only friend, it was particularly hard. Awa, can you explain to us now what your life's like here and how it compares to your previous life? Well, the life is not easy, but still I do believe it's interesting. And it's all about experience and how we move on. But for sure, I was very spoiled in Syria. I mean, I thought like I was a hard worker and uh, I studied two universities. But comparing to, to Britain, especially in my circumstances, which is as asylum seeker and then refugee and then homeless, lots of this, which I'm not prepared for it. I reached the point here where for me the life has no meaning anymore. I came here to be safe, to build my future again. And suddenly I felt like, oh my God, I've been left in the street has no family, no friends, no one even. But Owa's life in Syria before the war started was very different to this. She was brought up in a large house. Her family was well off. She wanted to work. She went to work when she was 18, but she didn't have to. There was no financial or cultural necessity for her to work. Her sister didn't work. And then the war started. So what was it like for you when the war first began? You were in Yarmouk, weren't you? This is Palestinian suburb of, of Damascus. I'm Palestinian. From Yemen, Khan, in Damascus. Yes, I'm a Palestinian refugee, and that means we are always involved in politics, um, especially my family. So your Palestinian family came to Syria? Yes, I'm the third generation of uh, the catastrophe, Nakba, 1948. I had grown into a city specifically for Palestinian refugees. So my grandparents were kids when they had to leave Palestine. We are from Haifa. Haifa, a very beautiful city beautiful. on the sea. And unfortunately, I can't go there until I get my British citizen. So I can go as British, but not as Palestinian. Because mm. yeah. Palestinians in Syria were not allowed to have Syrian citizenship. Um, and so although our family had been living in Syria since 1948, they were not legally citizens. No, we are refugee. We have travel documents. But this travel document means nothing, so we can't go anywhere with it. So my dad and my grandparents, they lived the life as refugees. It was an angry city. Generations of fighting, fueled by drugs. And so when the war first began, what was the moment the war first came to you? Well, I was fresh graduated then. From drama school? From drama school that was in 2010, 2011. And we went to Lebanon to do our graduation show because we did a very great show. 
We had invitation from a Lebanese theater and culture ministry. We were in the hotel where uh, Tunisia uh, demonstration started. My teacher, he said, this is very bad sign for everywhere in Middle East. We didn't take a bite seriously as the students, but later on, I just still remember his sentences like, this is very bad. In Syria, the demonstrations began in Dara. And, and then in Damascus, Damascus, yeah, a special place in Damascus, but they stopped it quickly. But I knew because I'm coming from a family where being politically involved uh, with Palestinian Fatah before. And we lost, like, my uncle, he's been killed by uh, Arafat group. I grew up of losing faith of politicians and as deal with them as criminals. People prevent to talk about Hama in 1982 but everyone in Syria they knew what's happened in Hama because this regime wants us to know what did happen in Hama massacres like massacres massacre. so Hama is a city just for the listeners and in the 1980s 1982 and what happened in Hama 1982 mm. but all generation they are a war what happened but this the regime, regime of President Assad's father yeah he cracked down on demonstrations yeah. in Hama and Thousands of people were killed. Is that right? Well, well this is, I, uh, well, I wasn't born yet, mm. but I, by generations, families keep telling the stories. So we knew, like this regime, who, what capable about, and not only this regime, other regime as well. Other regimes in the Middle East. Yeah. Well, for me in general, I don't believe in any regime in the world, and I do believe all politicians had blood in their hands somehow. So our regime is not except, exception. And, I mean, this family... For, so the moment you heard of the demonstration, you, you were expecting yeah, the regime yeah, to crack down. Yeah, I knew this. This is why I was worried more. I knew how much people wanted to be free. But I knew they're going to pay a very high price. People, they didn't realize how much the high price they're going to pay. I was visiting my friend in Daraya, in the countryside of Damascus. First time... I've heard demonstration there against the regime. I got scared, to be honest. And I knew, like, oh my God, we are going to hell. And the country went to hell. When you first left, you first left Syria for Lebanon, what was the, the final straw that made you leave? Because Yarmouk camp was a target from the government from the beginning. Lots of Palestinians actually involved in Syrian revolution. And they weren't happy with the regime which is for the regime, believe like, this is not our business. And attack Yermuk like a monster way. And Do you mean with helicopters or guns? Or rockets and the airplane, the helicopter rockets, the famous one, we left already a week before. But I do remember shells and rockets. Yeah, yeah, for sure. By the regime. Yeah, for sure. This is why you can see in the documentary that done about my story, mm. when I returned back 2018 to my house, because we left it to Lebanon in 2012, you can see all damaged, all down, all destroyed. So the whole place, we are talking about a city, a big city. So first, before moving to Lebanon, we had to move from place to place. So I live in a street called... Palestine Street. So we had to move from Palestine Street because being attacked first to Yarmouk Street. And then from Yarmouk Street, we have to go to Oruba Street. And then when there's no safety anywhere, we had to leave the whole place. My family and I, 
left a week before the huge number of people leaving, like the whole people, and people remember Nakba again. In the 1948 catastrophe yeah, when the Palestinians exactly. fled Israel. Exactly. And there's a shot being in Gaza where you see hundreds of people exactly the same happened in Yermuk where they tried to not leave just move from area to area but there's a point like nowhere. I wasn't there this day. They said that ISIS took control. My aunties they were there when they left that day. When that, that that's called the huge lift. They told us they've seen people like looks like not not Syrian or not Arabs. Looks like from other countries, extremist countries. In ISIS. Yes, yes. They they could tell ISIS like, from the breed, the type breed, the color, that how it looks like the beard. Yeah, the beard. Sorry, you can tell they are foreigners, and then people escape. And uh, people who say face terrorism in a very hurtful way. So for you, the, the moment you decided to leave Yarmouk and go into Lebanon, was there a final straw because it was too dangerous? Well, not me who decided, not my family. My sister who married in Qatar, my cousin, and they just ordered taxis for us one day and they said, you can't stay anymore. You have to leave now. And we just left. For me, I just not wanted to stay there, but I could probably stay in Damascus because I, I still believe, like, I finished graduated yesterday, I can't leave. But at the same time, I feel like I had responsibility of my mom because I'm the oldest, so I need to be there with her and my little sister and my little brother. And you went to Lebanon? We went to Lebanon, and as everywhere was the war, you always have hope to return back. So the closest country, and as also Palestinian refugee, we could go there to be safe with our travel document. And then anyway, Lebanon closed that door for Palestinians. We thought like, and somehow this is will finish. Mm. And Lebanon is just over the border from Syria. It's exactly. It's, it's just like we can return back. Few hours. Exactly. That's it. No one planned to, to immigrate, to go far from Syria. We always had like at some point we're gonna go back. Believed what happened in Tunisia and Egypt and Libya that will happen in Syria. Mm. People surprised like this regime, oh my god, like say Yeah, you didn't have regime change. No. no they dug in. Yeah, till now. <laughs> yeah, till now. <laughs> till, to be honest, I didn't surprise. There's no regime just give up because people want them to give up. It's a big game. And nothing to do with democracy or people freedom. Even in Egypt, Hosni Mubarak, he didn't give up because they demonstrated against him. He just received a call from West, whatever, say, oh, you need to give up, and he just. Gave so up. how long were you in Lebanon? We spent six years there. And first year wasn't easy. For the first time, I realized what depression means. Lift your head from the dead. Troy is gone. We are not Troy's queen anymore. Your luck has run out. We lived in like hotel department first. I just keep myself in my room, smoking a lot and drinking coffee. Get used to it. 
after you were nothing then. After all, what is there to say? What is there not to say? Going to toilet and come back to my room. I'm just thinking. And not even thinking, just like looking to nothing. Why I should even bother to lament? The weight of this disaster pins me to the ground. And I spent a year like this. I refused to see people, whatever, going out, communicate. And I didn't know what trauma mean. But now I know more about my situation. Ah, this is the playlist of the wretched. The songs of our joyless wars. This is a very different song to the one I sang. Was it only yesterday? I, I was in trauma, that I left the country, that I wanted to stay there, that I studied there, I born there, I had friends there, I should have future there, and then for nothing. After this year, my friends become like coming to Lebanon because people no longer safe there. So I had my friends coming and then encouraging me to go out. I decided it's Lebanon because I love Lebanon. We did graduation there. I felt like, oh my God, I, I want to stay in this country. This is how much beautiful. But not in these circumstances. Then I decided I want to just give it a chance. It's beautiful country, beautiful people. I said, there's no point to give up. And then I started my life again. And so what were you doing there? First of all, partying, meeting people, <laughs> drinking. I went wild for a while because this is the result of the war. You want to just catch yeah. the life. Then, yeah, I did work um, with BBC, the radio project called Hayil Matar, about what happened in Syria. So I'm serious, but for the radio. Lovely characters, and in very comedy way. It's really good. So I did two versions of it. The was Arabic it, was it, was and the it? English one. For the BBC Media Action and for the BBC Arabic. So, so you were acting in it? Yes. I did very great character. I love it. The, a lady called Caracas, and she's a hairdresser who just know everything going on, you know, and like yes. have big mouth and chat. Everyone admire her, and she's lovely. That was uh, probably uh, 2015 till 2016. That's hilarious because we yeah. did a radio soap opera in Jordan in 2014, wow. and it went out on BBC Arabic and Radio Four, wow. and then we were talking about doing another series. And then, strangely enough, they didn't call us and they did their own. And you were in it. And I didn't know that. Yeah, what a coincidence. Yeah. Well, I'm delighted it gave you a good job. When I came to the UK, I worked again with BBC4 mm -hmm. and also Radio Project. It's called Holly Mountain near Mook. People can find it on SoundCloud. Oh, Jacko. Jacko. Oh, sorry, this What's is my right? dog. So, Jacko, who was our best friend until Jonathan appeared in her life. A year ago. He's now Jonathan's best friend. Sit down, mommy. I owe him when I was in Lebanon. I bought him. He was a month and a half. And you bought him in Lebanon? In Lebanon. A little puppy. Yeah, I turned to 30s back then. And I felt like, oh my God. So I don't have normal life, child and kids. Because at this age in Middle East, like have grandson maybe. <laughs> so I decided to fill this emptiness by dog. And he did actually fill it. So I bought him, he was a month and a half, and then after two years he had to come back with us to Syria. I want to show you a picture from 21st of May 2017, where Jaco was a puppy. 
Oh, oh, he's so sweet. Oh, look at that, Jacko. You're so sweet. Oh, look at your little blue bone. You've got my little rubber toy. Your fluffy yellow ears. Darling, look, have a look at Jacko. I can't see him because he's gone. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Was that in Beirut? He looks like angry, yeah. And yeah. Lebanese. So you're yeah, Lebanese, yeah. Dutch. Show Dave. He's half Lebanese. Have uh, Dutch, I think, because it's coming from Netherlands uh, or Swedish embassy. Yeah. So you're an embassy dog, Jacko. His mum or his dad. And now you're on a council flat in Shepherd's Bush. Well, <laughs> never mind. Oh, he's a very handsome dog. <laughs> oh. So why did you leave Lebanon then? You building your career there? Just legal issues about immigration. They give us say three months and they they tried to renew it every three months so it became illegal my family and I for two years and then because I worked and my sister used to transfer money for us from Qatar this home office in Lebanon yes (laughs) we're into private so we spend like monthly more than three thousand so three thousand dollars dollars yeah so they give me uh, a year in the law, I should take three years, but because I'm Palestinian, they give me only a year. Then my family had to be illegal again. And then we thought, like, after six years, there's no point. So we need to return back to Syria. Plus, Qatar back then had an uh, economical issue. My sister's and her uh, husband business being affected. So we had to return back to Syria. Then, the Lebanese government said that Palestinian refugees from Syria, they had to go back to Syria. And that was when? 2018. So what was it like going back? Straight away we went to check our homes in Yermouk. And literally we spent like six hours to get to the house, which is usually 10 minutes only. But every 100 meters there were checkpoints. And yeah. who's controlling it? The government? The armies, yeah, Syrian mm. armies. And uh, and I was almost being like really nearly killed by a guy who's probably 18 years old. But because he has a gun, he thought like he got power to kill me. He asked for the ID. I said, what's going on? We didn't do anything wrong. And then he just did some shooting in the sky. And he said, I can kill you all. I don't care. So I knew, like, oh my God, this is what people face in Syria. Because I've heard about it, but I didn't face it. Plus, you need to pay money. The deal was with Syrian army back then, that if you go to your house, either everything being stolen by ISIS, by our Syrian army, by whatever people who stay there, or if your stuff still there and you want to take it out, you need to pay money. Or bribe people. To the army. Mm. So we found some of our stuff still there. Lots of stuff being stolen, like electricity stuff. But we needed some at least furniture. And we managed to just like take some stuff. So where were you living there if your house was? We, were you was ha- your house destroyed? My home was destroyed. My entire neighborhood was destroyed. Yeah, we rent in in, uh, in Damascus. Uh, no one lived in, in Yarmouk back then. Well, there's no houses. No houses, no facilities, no people. 
And people who have money to go out of earmarks, they stay under ISIS control. But when we went back, 2018, already been cleansed from ISIS. So, but there's no houses, there's no way to live there. We have to live here. Then I, I realized, like, it's not safe anywhere in Syria. And this is not the place that I want to continue my life. So what was it that made you realize that you had to leave Damascus, that you had to go to the West? How, how difficult was that decision to make? Yeah, the threading that I received, for sure. So who threatened you? The armies, how deal with us and other personal stuff. They want to take advantages of actors. They want people who in media take a specific side. And I refuse to take sides. Take sides in the revolution. If you are in Syria and if you are in media, you need to go public and say, I side with government. The same as people when they are outside, they say we are against, you know. And you were not prepared to say that? Well, because, no, I don't actually uh, side with I'm Palestinian. I can't be just like flexible like this. I've been raised up to be a fighter and I feel like that wasn't right. And they targeted me because I'm an actress and back then I was a bit famous. So I just escaped. The dust winging its way to the sky like smoke will hide my house forevermore. And what was it like leaving and saying goodbye to your family? <sighs> and your dog? Oh uh, yeah, well... I didn't have a chance to say goodbye, to be honest, uh, because the things happened quickly and you didn't know how much was the quick. And this is where we're going to leave Awa for the moment, making this incredibly momentous decision and having to suddenly move very, very quickly and leave behind her family, her friends, her career, her hopes, her dreams, her home, her dog, Jacko, and set off on this rather terrifying journey into the unknown. Awa would be braving mountains, forests, the Turkish police, the Turkish army, rivers, and the terrifying attentions of Kurdish smugglers. So if you want to find out what happens to Awa, tune in to the next episode of Why Am I in Your Country? And thank you very much for listening. I'd also like to apologise for the slightly jumpy sound quality in this podcast, it's our first episode and we're working on a very tight budget. So um, thank you very much for having patience with it. If you want to find out more about what we do at Trojan Women Project, go to www.trojanwomenproject.org. And you can also, if you want to, buy some of our films, which goes to support our work. Or even make a donation, which would be just as good and possibly better. I shall